The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. We're focusing all on mental health all week long. And joining us for today's episode is Amy Morin, who you probably know from her Mentally Strong book series, but also she's the editor-in-chief of the Very Well Mind website and also host of the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I feel like the holiday season is a, a really good time to have a conversation about mental health um, because I think it's a it's a hard time in a lot of ways you're, for people. You're absolutely right. We hear so much about this being the happiest time of year, but as a therapist, <laughs> I assure you that for many people, that's not the case. And a lot of people are embarrassed by it or it makes them feel worse because they think everybody else is happy and they watch these movies where it looks like the holidays are so much fun. And then they're thinking, well, I don't feel that way. What's wrong with me? So I'm so glad that you're bringing this subject up. I, I think that it, if if I can do anything here with this platform, it's to make the people that listen to the show every day feel seen and feel like they are not alone in, in feeling a particular way. And one of the things I've often gone back to, especially in the pandemic years, is this idea that we're all experiencing collective trauma, like in different ways. Everybody has different sets of circumstances in their own lives, but the pandemic feels like a big trauma whether you lost someone or, you know, you were perfectly fine. But I just feel like it's so huge that it's it's affecting everyone. And I feel like it is manifesting in our everyday lives. I mean, are you seeing that as a therapist? And in what ways do you feel like the trauma of these the last couple of years, um, they're man it's manifesting in people's everyday lives? Yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of people were terrified of dying. They were terrified for their families, worried about uh, losing a loved one. And a lot of people had to worry about food insecurity and the economy, going to work. Some people had to go to work when they were terrified to do so, but they didn't have a choice. Other people were were at home, but yet weren't quite sure when they could go out or they were separated from family members. So there's lots of different ways that people experienced extreme distress and I think that a lot of people had in their heads that once the pandemic ended, that there was going to be like a day that it ended. And then we would all go out in the streets and cheer and hug our relatives again. And life would go back to quote unquote normal, which hasn't been the case. It's been this sort of lingering thing where some people are like the pandemic's over and other people are all no, it's not. And we know a lot of people are still getting sick, yet a lot of the restrictions have been lifted. So we're in this weird place. And a lot of families were torn apart by this because they had different opinions about how to handle the restrictions or how to deal with the pandemic. And so holidays are especially a time when that rift comes out where people are saying, well, are we just going to move past it? Are we not going to talk about the fact that we had such strong disagreements? Uh, are we able to get together like we used to? 
And other people are finding when they go back to the quote unquote normal life that they used to have, like things are different. A lot of their coworkers are no longer at the office anymore or they've lost loved ones. And so the going back to normal isn't really going back to normal because life is never going to be the same. And it does a number to us. It plays on our emotions and our being in a heightened state of anxiety like so many people were for a really long time. It takes a toll on your body, too. People are sick more often just from headaches and stomach aches and and not feeling well but also in our mental health we're seeing higher rates of depression and anxiety now following the pandemic than we've seen before this is really why i wanted to do this week because i i I honestly believe that it's not just anecdotal right i mean it's not just people telling me that they're feeling more stressed out and anxious i've been reading a lot about um the statistics where people you know all over um all over the place um, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all race. I mean, it's really everybody has been dealing with an increased amount of anxiety and depression, whether it be something that's actually diagnosed or whether they are just kind of feeling off. I mean, what are some of the symptoms people should think about when when they're like, I I'm not sure if this is like, you know, medically diagnosed anxiety or depression, but I'm struggling like I, I have. I have like a certain amount of pressure in my chest or it's hard to breathe or I feel like there's a lump in my throat, whatever it is. I have a headache that won't go away. I mean, what are some of the things people should think about when they assess whether or not, um, you know, they, they should talk to somebody about their struggling, their struggles? Yeah, it's really about some of those symptoms that you mentioned. Some people have physical symptoms of a headache, stomach aches, not feeling well. Sometimes it's a change in behavior where people will say, I can't, uh, I can't fall asleep or some people sleep way too much or it's a change in appetite or some people say I'm, I'm overeating and other people say, I just lost my appetite or I've lost weight and I haven't meant to lose weight and energy levels change. Sometimes people are like, I just don't have the energy to get off the couch and get out of the house or I don't have the energy to go for a walk like I used to. And sometimes it affects relationships where somebody will say, I used to be really social. Now I don't feel like going out or I'm avoiding responding to text messages or making excuses when my friends or family members ask me to go do something because I just I just don't feel like going and sometimes it affects work too where people say I'm just not productive or I sit through a zoom meeting staring at my screen but I don't even know what's going on or uh, I'm just not as driven as I used to be and so when any of those things starts to create a problem for you it's definitely a good idea to talk to somebody if you can and there's different ideas on how to get help Sometimes self-help strategies work well. If somebody doesn't want to see a therapist, maybe you can get an app on your phone. Maybe you can um, read a self-help book and that might be enough for you. Other people are able to say, I just need to change my behavior and they do it on their own. That might be pushing yourself to go out with your friends, even when you don't feel like it, because the antidote to depression sometimes can be go do something fun, whether you feel like it or not. Sometimes that's enough. In cases of mild depression, that might be enough to tip the scales and help you feel better. But there are plenty of cases where people say, I'm so anxious, I can't leave the house, or I'm so Mm. depressed that I just can't get out of my own way. And in those cases, people might need therapy. And sometimes online therapy is an option for people who say, you know, I don't even have the energy to go see a therapist in person right now. So they're able to at least sit at home and talk to a therapist without getting too much anxiety or without feeling like they are too depressed to even push themselves to make it to an appointment once they schedule it, because that happens often. Mm hmm. No, this is such an important point. And I think the pandemic has actually made this easier. Because one of the things that I have changed in the pandemic is I used to go to my therapist, 
And I remember those days where, like, I was just tired. And, like, you know, you get out on the subway because I lived in New York City to go to the therapy. And, you know, I feel like I probably canceled a lot more frequently my appointments or rescheduled them when I had to go in person, which has changed because I live in a different state now. And so, but I have the same therapist. I kept the same therapist. And now we just talk on the phone. I don't even have to zoom. The fact that I don't even have to be on camera is also, um, it removes a barrier to me actually doing it. And so I don't think I've even missed a therapy appointment in the pandemic. Like I just, it's, it's a regular call that I have like a regular meeting because it's, it, it's just that important. It is a meeting on my schedule. Um, and I find that when you remove some of those barriers to entry that I think, especially if you're, you are feeling a little bit of anxious or your anxiety, um, you know, makes you feel like you don't want to be social, just calling somebody. Are there other options? I mean, like text therapy or some sort of therapy where you don't even have to talk to a human being. (laughs) Is there that, are. Is that an option? <laughs> it is. And I think you're absolutely right about removing some of those barriers. So a lot of people will say, you know, gosh, I can't go sit in a therapist's office or sit in the waiting room or get myself there because of anxiety or depression or some other mental health issue. But yet you can now talk to a therapist online. Online therapy services have a whole range of options. So some sites you can only schedule a video chat session with your therapist. So you would log in just like a regular Zoom call and talk to a therapist that way. But plenty of other sites have just what you said, texting and messaging services, which a few years ago at Very Well Mind, I tested most of the online major therapy sites. And at the time I was a face-to-face therapist and I kind of thought online therapy was not really going to be too much of a thing or it wouldn't be as effective. But I found that there were some incredible benefits of being able to just text a therapist throughout the day. Like they could reply back within an hour, as opposed to if you're seeing a therapist in the office, usually you have to wait a whole week to get feedback. But it was really cool. You can message a therapist to say, hey, my friends invited me out. I'm kind of anxious. What should I do? And you get real-time feedback. So if you don't want to see somebody in person, usually that's an option. And some online therapy sites allow phone calls, just like you said, which is great for people maybe who don't have high speed internet or maybe somebody that doesn't have privacy. And maybe you're going to talk Mm -hmm. to a therapist on the phone in a semi-public place and you don't want to sit there on a Zoom call. So but you can talk on the phone. So there's some really cool options right now for people that I think can really help. I I, I love that you um, made sure to to tell people this because there, I, I want people to know that if you're out there and you're like, you know, I do probably need to talk to somebody, but I don't want to like meet a new person. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to be on a Zoom. Like there are other ways to do it. And I think that, um, you know, don't feel like it's just you um, that might be too anxious to go deal with a whole new person. Um, I think a lot of us are kind of feeling that way right now. Um, your books series center around the idea that we need to cultivate mental strength. And I think that mental strength, I mean, fortunately for me, before my life got kind of crazy in 2018, I'd already, I I think I had already read your book, the mental, the first one. I think I'd already read the first one. Um, And maybe like very soon after that, read the one specifically for women. Um, But I feel like in the pandemic moment (laughs) that we're, we're in, um, the insurrection moment, you know, there's mass shootings all the time. You know, there are things that happen every day that stress us the F out. Um, why is it so important to cultivate mental strength and how can people start start doing that? Oh, good question. And thank you for reading my books. So 
I wish that we talked about mental health more like we talk about physical health. Like mm. nobody questions that if you want to be physically healthy, it's a good idea to uh, to become physically strong. If you lift weights, you go jogging, whatever it is that you do can improve your physical health. Doesn't mean that you won't ever get a physical health problem. You might still injure your knee or you might still have high cholesterol, but mm. that they often go hand in hand. When you build physical health, it improves your when you build physical strength, it improves your physical health. Mental strength is the same. Doesn't mean that you can't uh, still develop depression or it doesn't mean if you have an anxiety disorder that you can't be mentally strong. You certainly can. But it's really about training your brain to recognize that your thoughts aren't always true. You have some ability to manage your emotions and that you can take some kind of productive action no matter what you're going through. So some days that means pushing yourself to do things you don't want to do. Other days, it might be about recognizing, actually, I need to step back and take a take a bit of a break right now to care for myself. And there's so many exercises that we can do to, to build mental strength. And it could be anything from saying, I'm going to write in a gratitude journal and just put down three things I'm grateful for today. And what that does is it gets your mind focused on that there were some good things, no matter how rough today was, there were probably a few good things that happened. It cultivates more positive feelings. And it can, there's tons of studies on gratitude that it helps you sleep better, improves your relationships. People who are grateful tend to take better care of themselves. So therefore they live longer. They're 25% happier. The list goes on and on. But gratitude is one of those things that doesn't cost any money. And if you make it a habit and start incorporating it into your life, it only takes a couple minutes of your time. So that's one big thing that you can do. Uh, another strategy that works well for, for building mental strength can just be about setting boundaries in your life with the people around you and knowing that the people who are around you make a huge difference in how mentally strong you feel throughout the day. And sometimes it's about saying no to the things that are asked of you. Sometimes it's about saying, you know, I'm not comfortable with this, so I'm not going to allow that to happen anymore. Other times it might be about saying, you know, this friendship or this relationship isn't working for me anymore, so I'm going to take a break or I'm going to end it so that you can make sure that you're surrounded by things that help you become your best. Just like if you wanted to be physically healthier, you wouldn't want to surround yourself with just cookies and junk food all day. You'd want to have some healthy things and get rid of the things that are tempting you. We want to do that when we build mental strength too. I was literally saying this in the first hour because one of the things that, I mean, obviously I have, I've read your book. So some of these things I've tried to implement. So I I'm using myself as an example here. Um, I recently um, experienced loss. And so one of the things I've done in the weeks since is add in things that are make me feel happy. So like, even if it's like, play with the dog, literally putting that on my schedule, <laughs> um, I will do it. Um, and so I start my day now with affirmations as a and, or a moving meditation, as opposed to like, picking up my phone and looking at the news right away, even though my job is the news, right? I, I like take the five minute, the extra five or 10 minutes to do something and put something in that's good. Because I know that that makes me feel better. It just makes me feel better. It literally is scientific, I'm sure. Uh, or it is scientific, I'm sure in my brain. But I feel like just putting in something positive as opposed to negative allows for even if the negative comes later, like it's almost like a buffer. <laughs> um, and it, it, it makes you feel better before you sort of get the deluge of bad news because this is a difficult time for everybody I feel like you know we we haven't had a lot tons of good news in the past few years and so I feel like people are are struggling but don't necessarily have um, the necessary outlets to tell people and to talk about it and to, to get the help that they need um, one of the other questions I had is about 
mentally burning out because I feel like there's a lot of like, there are a lot of ad ads and marketing. There's a whole theme around this idea that we need to quote self care, but I feel like that's not what we need. We need actual like rest for our brains, like for our mental health. And so what are some of the things you think we can do to prevent sort of just mental exhaustion? Because as you said, it, it is comparative um, compared to physical exhaustion. Well, I'm glad you brought that up too. And the problems with self-care because self-care has become such a buzzword. And then people expect that if they work a, if they're working crazy amounts of hours and they're doing all of this stuff, then taking a bubble bath for 20 minutes once a week is somehow <laughs> going to recharge their batteries, which isn't the case. Sometimes it's about a lifestyle overhaul, not just building in um, a life, you know, a couple minutes here and there of having coffee with a friend once a week. But instead, it might be saying, you know, I'm not going to check my email after I get home at night all night long. Or when I do have spare time, I'm going to be more conscious of how I spend it. Just like what you mentioned before, build in mm. some pleasant things in your life throughout the day. Don't wait until Friday night to then say, I'm going to finally enjoy a, a pizza with my friends, but instead say, how do I build this into my life throughout the day? And to be more conscious of how we're spending our time. A lot of people scroll through their phones for hours every single mm. day, and they don't even realize how much time mm -hmm. they're spending. But imagine if you took those hours and did something else, like you went for a walk or you did talk to somebody in person or you did something kind for someone else there's all of these things we could do but in order to do that we just have to become a lot more aware of how we're spending our time what kinds of things are draining our energy and then purposely build in those things that are really good for us and making sure that we create time to do those things so that we aren't completely burned out and then we become we feel like we're not effective, uh, we're bitter, we're angry, we're resentful of people that quote unquote waste our time. We yeah. don't have the energy to devote to the things that we want to do. So it's really important to take a step back sometimes and say, hey, where's my time going? Sometimes I like to do a time audit with people in my office where they write down for one week where all their time goes. And a lot of people are really surprised to say, you know, that 10 minutes a day that I scroll through my phone, say in between meetings or something like that adds up to four hours at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. What if I took those four hours and did something else because I would feel better about myself? So then it's about then saying how what activities do I want to build into my schedule? And those things you mentioned earlier, Zerlina, about just putting something positive throughout the day can make a huge difference on our overall well-being. I, I've sort of heard it described as like scheduling joy <laughs> so just like schedule something that makes you smile um sometimes it's like a song like i'll like take a break to like watch a video or you know, listen to a song that i really puts me in a good mood um and it really helps i mean definitely don't mindlessly scroll that is like the number one reason why you don't feel right <laughs> you know however that's manifesting like if you just feel a little bit off i recommend deleting instagram from your phone that is like, the number one tip i have for most people because once i did i feel like it was like it was almost immediate and i think that there's something it has something to do with like the dopamine it, uh, there's there's brain science that explains this but i just think that too many of us mindless, mindlessly scroll it's such an important point i do have a question about something that was in the news so the I, and it's related to something I should say that was in the news because I I think that there is a lesson here that we should talk about and that was that there was um a celebrity the DJ on the Ellen Show Stephen Twitch boss who died by suicide recently and I feel like there's a conversation that's popped up online um sort of with the theme that 
well, he looked like he had everything. And when, and because of social media, um, you know, we see sort of a curated sampling of the best moments of someone's life. And we think that that is their life. And so when some a tragedy like this happens or we see somebody struggling, we're like, well, why are they struggling? They look like they have everything. Can you talk a bit about the like how you as a therapist talk through with people who feel like, well, I have everything. Why am I not happy? Um, and this idea that, you know, things can look, quote unquote, OK on the outside, but but that doesn't necessarily mean that. It is okay. And and how can we show up for people if if we realize they are they may be struggling and, and it may be hidden by a smile? Yeah, all good points. And on the surface we know people will say, Well, you never know what kind of battle somebody is fighting. We've all heard stuff like that before. And we've all heard the idea that yeah, people only put the best things on social media. Yet when something like this happens, it reminds us those aren't just sayings, those things are accurate because he was somebody who certainly looked happy and people who were fans of him didn't know that he's had any sort of struggles at all. And it's just proof that a lot of people are really good at masking their pain and hiding mm -hmm. how they're actually feeling and keeping those struggles secret. And for us to keep that in mind when we're attempted to compare ourselves to anybody else's life, when we just see their highlight reels on Instagram. And it's so important to realize too, that just because somebody has amazing things going on in their life, it doesn't mean that they aren't still going to experience a mental health issue. Like depression doesn't go away because you get a promotion or an anxiety disorder won't disappear because you make a lot of money. In fact, a lot of times success can amplify issues for people in certain ways and they feel like they have to have to do extra things to maintain their success and they mm. it just puts too much pressure on them and that's why it's so important for us to recognize okay if i'm struggling who do i talk to and if you know somebody who's struggling one of the best things that you can do if you suspect you have a friend who feels like they couldn't talk about their problems one of the best things you could do is talk about some of your issues with them just to make a connection so often we confuse the idea with the fact that we have to look good to impress people but if you really want to be happy in life, it's about connecting with people. And the way that we connect with people sometimes is about acknowledging our struggles, admitting our flaws, talking about some of the problems we have in life to form genuine, authentic relationships with people. And when we don't feel so alone anymore, when people are able to say, gosh, I'm really struggling with this, then it opens the door to, to getting help and to start addressing secret problems that people have. And as a therapist, I have the luxury of knowing how many people come into my office every day saying I'm struggling with this, but nobody knows. And I'm fe I am feel like I'm the only one who feels this way. And then the next patient comes in and says almost the exact same thing. <laughs> and it's yep. people who look so successful and happy mm -hmm. to the outside world. And secretly, they're dealing with a lot of the same issues as so many other people, but they just don't know because nobody talks about it. And I think that this um, recent suicide has just raised some more awareness and conversations around the fact that sometimes people who look really good on the outside really are battling things on the inside that none of us know anything about. I, I love that you validated what my therapist also says, um, which is that everyone's coming in, you know, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when I was like, ah, I feel, you know, like, not, I, I don't want to use that word. I, I feel a little off. Um, and she'd be like, everyone is everyone. Everyone is saying that. Everyone is saying the same thing. You're not the only one 
coming in and, and, and struggling, everyone is having, you know, similar feelings. Um, because it was it was the, a moment where I think all of us we were in, first of all, lizard brain, the fight or fight brain, which you really shouldn't be in for a sustained period of time. But also, we all realize we don't really have control over anything. Um, and I think that a lot of people who maybe thought that they did have some monicum of control over their lives realize in the pandemic that they did not because it didn't even matter if you were like a rich CEO. You were at home just like everybody else because we couldn't go we we couldn't go anywhere. We were restricted in so many different ways and students were home from school and all of that. Um, one of uh, the things that you focus on in the last few minutes here, I want to sort of speak to the parents out there because um, you have two books that are focused on kids and one for parents. And I think that these conversations can be difficult when we're talking about mental health and young people. Um, but what is some of your advice for parents out there to just open up a conversation about mental health with their child? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of parents are like, well, my parents never talked to me about mental health, so I don't know how to talk to my kids about that. And it could be something as simple as just mentioning sometimes about stress and how you manage your stress. And the kids see our behavior, but they often don't know why we do it. Like, why do you go for coffee with your friend on Saturday morning? You can explain it just like some of the things we've talked about. Like, I really need to take care of myself and I put fun things in my calendar that are good for my mental health. And whether you do yoga or you exercise, have those conversations about the things that you're doing. And a really easy way to get kids sometimes to open up is if you set them down and you stare them in the eye and you say something like, you know, are experiencing depression, your eight-year-old is not going to know what you're talking about. But you can often ask questions of kids about their friends or other kids at school. And that gets the conversation started. So whether you have a, a middle schooler or a high schooler, you can often say things like, do you think that there are a lot of kids at your school who struggle with anxiety or you think there are a lot of kids at your school who maybe struggle with their sad feelings and your kids will often say oh yeah there's a lot of kids that struggle with that and they might start the conversation and then you could say do you ever feel that way too or are there things that really stress you out or what are some of the most stressful things you think kids your age are dealing with but when you kind of don't ask the question too directly at first kids will open up but then when they say you know most of my friends are really stressed out about homework or they get really stressed about bullying or uh, they're just worried about passing this year. Whatever it is that they say their friends are worried about, I can almost guarantee your kid is worried about too. But it's an easy way to start the conversation by saying, my friend struggles with this. And then you can slowly ease the conversation into, well, what do you struggle with? And just making normalizing that and then talking. How do we deal with uncomfortable feelings in our house? Maybe we color, maybe we go for a walk. Or how do we know when you need a mental health day? Is that something we even do in our house? What would that look like? Or if you can normalize things like you go to the doctor for a checkup, why wouldn't it be okay to go to a therapist once in a while for mm -hmm. a checkup? And I think when kids grow up and those things are discussed and talked about, it just becomes like, oh yeah, this makes sense that I take care of my mental health too. And parents are sometimes uncomfortable with it, but once you start doing it, it gets easier over time. Amy Morin, it's been so great to have you on to start off Mental Health Week. Um, I hope uh, the listeners at home have taken away at least one nugget from our conversation to help them in their holiday season, which can be a very difficult time for people. Um, Amy, the author of the Mentally Strong series of books, but also editor-in-chief of Very Well Mind and host of the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you for being here this morning. Please stay safe. Thank you, Zerlina.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday. Thank <laughs> you.